Welcome to The Shift, friends. This is a bonus episode we're recording for you with our heavy hearts in light of the current occurrences around the world. We're going to start with a statement that Yasha wrote for his personal Instagram and we echoed on our MindShift Instagram to set the tone of how we would like to have this discussion today. Thank you for joining our conversation. Thank you for tuning in. And we ask for open hearts and open minds as we try to navigate the heartbreak in our hearts and we believe the global community today. We stand with humanity. We stand with humanity and the dignity and respect each human life deserves. Any innocent life that is taken is a scar upon our collective hearts. It is as simple as that. We refuse to allow warring parties to taint our broken hearts by dehumanizing the other. We refuse to play identity politics and perpetuate the norm that has turned everything into a team sport. We refuse to justify any innocent life lost. Instead, when our hearts are broken, we look for voices that speak to a narrative that is beyond the binary. We try to educate and then re-educate ourselves using nuance. We look for individuals and organizations that are independent and focused on humanitarian solutions. We will be referencing some of these in our show notes. We ask for feedback and engage in conversation when asked to do so. We do this so that we can further understand the gap in our thinking and hold greater nuance. The greatest act of leadership is to hold space with and for someone that disagrees with your point of view. The greatest signal of humanity is to find commonality with someone that stands for something different than yourself. Ignoring facts that are inconsistent with your held beliefs is the fastest way to create more pain for all. To cast judgment and to sever a tie with another human without any attempt to understand them is a symptom of a larger societal disorder to be wary of. It's exactly what the warring parties are hoping for. You become another cog in the wheel that is aiding in the tearing of our societal fabric. Now let us be clear, we absolutely condemn the violence and killing that took the lives of over a thousand innocent Israelis on October 7th. Once again, one innocent life taken is too many. And the response by the Israeli government cannot and should not be justified by these innocent lives. Responding to hate with more hate has never worked and will never work. As I read this, on October 18th, the Israeli government against international humanitarian law has deprived over 2 million Palestinians of food, water, and electricity all while dropping over 10,000 bombs on the people of Gaza in 10 days. To put this in perspective, 6,000 bombs match the total number used by the U.S. Army in one year of conflict with Afghanistan. Now the Gaza Strip is facing the largest wave of displacement in history with over 1.1 million people without homes. Furthermore, as reported by Human Rights Watch, white phosphorus has been used on the people of Gaza this is a war crime. In total, the Palestinian casualties have risen over 3,000, with over 13,000 injured and counting. How can we truly believe that these acts will grant Israelis or Jewish people safety, let alone any form of sustainable peace and stabilization in the region? It is time to unite as human beings and reject the temptation to allow our pain to be hijacked by any government or group. It is time to recognize these people will only use our pain to inflict more atrocities. I struggled with recording this podcast 
I know the narrative around having conversations on this topic or the fear of losing business or appearing this way or another. That was not my fear. I struggled with recording this podcast because while we are vocal on our personal platforms and our company platform, having to use my voice in this way at this time because of the tremendous heartbreak is ultimately difficult, not because it's complex to me, because I'm so almost disillusioned or heartbroken that this conversation even has to happen, that it's a question to ask for human dignity, to ask for human rights. These are not opinions. As the international community came together to write the declarations of human rights, to write the Genocide Convention, to make these rules in which we could somehow have international order and peace. The fact that they have to be explained, that certain lives have to be justified, that they deserve dignity, is where my disillusionment lies and my pain lies and where my confusion is of why do we, the people of Palestine and those that support peace, have to work so hard to be worthy of protection. If I change the names, if I change the religions, if I change the countries and cultures and races in this awful equation we have in front of us, we wouldn't have to try this hard. That's the truth. Because we saw it with the Ukraine and we've seen it with many past occurrences in the past. So the thing that's unspeakable that no one wants to go and say is that there is a silent agreement within these conversations and justification of Islamophobia and an anti-Arab stance. And I think that's the part no one wants to look at because all the facts are staring at us in the face, the images, the reality. So the fact that this even has to be a fight for humanity confuses me because it's clear and I wholeheartedly believe deeply. And you see this with many millions of Jewish activists. This has nothing to do with the Jewish religion, the Jewish people, and how they honor each other and lives. And to have to do it even in their name is heartbreaking. And you see that, again, we'll list the amazing, brave organizations in our show notes, led by those of the Jewish faith, rabbis, coming forth, being very clear that genocide is not a part of their Jewish identity. So we're recording this podcast because at the end of the day, we're beyond a podcast, beyond a business. We are two humans who, again, stand for humanity. And we're also people who, for a living, are able to have difficult conversations in, in order to create a shift, first within ourselves, then within our communities, towards the type of future that we want and towards the type of people we want to be. And for many, this time will be painful because what will happen, as it does in any moment in life where you have to reevaluate your thoughts, your beliefs, what you were told, what was told to you, there's a righteous shame. There's a productive shame. The question of complicity comes up. These are all painful. Should I say something? I don't know what to say. I don't know anything. These are amazing feelings because these are growing pains. Life has presented you with an opportunity to grow or to stay. So 
if our listeners in one way feel stuck, unsure, I don't know the history of this, everyone tells me it's complex, I don't know what to do about this, amazing, stop, think, read. Most importantly, listen to your own heart space. In our bodies, innate within us, is not to hate. We are not born that way. We don't think that way. It's taught behavior. And avoiding certain conversations or certain topics is a way for those that want to maintain control, do that. So to actually decolonize your thinking, your thoughts, your actions, your words requires the unlearning and relearning of those values that are in alignment with your best self, with your best leader, with the version of you that in your not knowing knows. And this is an opportunity to regain alignment with that version of you. It will be uncomfortable for sure. It will be painful and you will feel shame. Stay there, question it, understand it, work through and with it. You will be stronger for it and humanity in our communities will be too. Ayla, can you give your background to our listeners so we can ground this conversation a little further? Absolutely. It's Yashar and I, our brother and sister. We are Iranian Canadians, and this type of conversation was very common in our home. Politics, culture, religion, all of these things were part of our dinner time. Um, maybe because of our parents' educational background, maybe because of the country we came from, that these things couldn't be overlooked because we are children of a revolution. We were displaced from our homes because of Iran-Iraq war. So we couldn't look the other way because it was part of our immigrant story. On top of that, this is where I dedicated my life in my education and my work. I have a BA in political science with a double minor in politics, law, and society and psychology. And then I went on to attain a master's in human rights. So to say that this is apart from me is impossible. Anything I birth, any work I've done for the last 20 plus years has a very clear social justice stance, social impact, purpose, and anything I birth even in my personal life cannot be detached from that. Piggybacking off your idea of working through what's difficult and moving beyond what you've known, what one has grown up being told or believing is personally where I reached is the idea of not needing a certain flag or country to represent me and my ideals. And I think this is a time where we can ask ourselves, how do we maintain culture and history and the pieces of our ancestry that we love and cherish and fight so hard for, while also recognizing that a certain flag or a certain government doesn't in fact represent that, and in fact can tarnish those beautiful pieces of our history in many ways, our beautiful pieces of culture in many ways. As Iranians, whose father is a highly educated man and holds a PhD in political science, was ousted as the dean of that department overnight, essentially, because he spoke up against the government. I think unknowingly, at least for me, I grew up in a culture that questioned what is being allowed and why other things are not being allowed to be spoken about in the highest institutions. In fact, those can maybe sometimes be the most dangerous at times, depending on the narrative that needs to be upheld. And so 
moving a lot as a child, seeing a lot of different cultures, races, and religions, and never really feeling like I belonged has now, as you alluded to, Isla, the confusion has turned into a beauty where I hold humanity first, prior to any flag or any government. And I think for some that could be really scary, but I, I at least see it as a superpower for myself. Because when I fight for justice, as you said earlier, it's first and foremost for the human dignity. And if we can't start there, then we can never get to the point where we're all actually living in some sort of harmony. And we can cherry pick all day long about what historian will say what and what scholar would argue another point. However, that becomes a dangerous game because really what we're doing, as one of my heroes, Dr. Gabor Mate would say, is we're almost addicted to an ideology to prevent ourselves from feeling disconnected. But that addiction, like any addiction, if not checked, can cause us then to see others as that and can cause us to justify our stance over the well-being of another human. And that addiction is prevalent currently. That addiction to uphold some sort of righteousness about who we are and how we are as a community over the bloodshed of another. And stripping ourselves of this addiction, like any addiction, and again, as you alluded to, Isla, will be painful, will be difficult. It would require us to question what we so desperately are looking for. What are these connection points that we so desperately need and haven't somehow found in the greater global well-being, therefore pushing us into these isolated corners that when push comes to shove, we will defend our own before we think twice about the innocence that is being taken. And, you know, if this podcast is about the shift, the shift for me has always been to look for the voices who are educated and also part of a certain history and ancestry. I find it remarkable when someone has an ancestry of hurt and pain and trauma, and in some cases, genocide, and can also see the humanity on the quote unquote other side and learn about what perpetuated these acts and how can we do better and can speak to it in a form that doesn't just protect themselves, but protects a larger narrative, that protects a larger force, which is a human force, the human being. And so if there's a tool that someone wants to take from this podcast, I would suggest look for those voices. And again, we'll suggest some in the show notes that can look beyond themselves, can look beyond their flesh and bones and see more to the story. It's not enough to simply use these words and feel good. As Isla, you always say, you know, action is required. You just recently posted something that don't just meditate, act, you know. The meditation is great. And if anyone's ever worked with us, it is a staple in how we teach people to show up as humans first and leaders second in this world. However, without the action, nothing changes. And so that action will look different for everyone. And so you don't need to save the world, but you need to take action in one form or another so that we move closer as a collective to doing better in this world. Don't be overwhelmed by what's happening, even though it's completely overwhelming majority of the time. Find the gaps in that overwhelm. Find the connection with the voices and the people in real life that speak to a narrative that is upholding all of us. Use that as the 
source of power to go into those places that need to be looked at and examined and relearn how you see this world and how you see your place in it. Just a comment on the meditation piece. <laughs> Again, absolutely in no way do we dismiss the ultimate and utter importance of not only self-regulating, but maintaining and raising the vibration of love. And action is required. You are being faced with a challenge, heartbreaking, overwhelming, confusing. Whatever you feel is valid, but it's your opportunity to shift. A ceasefire, from my perspective, is a non-negotiable right now. There is no religion, race, culture, belief system whose freedom justifies taking away that of another's then it's not truly freedom. It's oppression. It's control. It's power. All of our freedom is tied to one another, whether you see it, whether you don't. I hold deep grief and sorrow and apology in my heart and soul for the lives we could not protect. It is our responsibility as a human race to do better. Full stop. And we all have to find our way to address what you just said. I know the way I go about it looks a little bit different from the way you go about it, Isla. I know I've been very busy on social media, in my DMs, engaging with people on all sides, old friends and new friends, people who disagree with me and people who agree with me, people who are afraid to voice their opinion, who thank me for voicing a collective opinion that they have not felt secure enough to share within their community as of yet. I pride myself on these conversations and the way I like to carry out these conversations. I think that's not for everyone. And I definitely know not everyone can do it as respectfully as I hope to do it with everyone that comes across my inbox. So before we end this podcast, why don't you share, Isla, the way you like to show up, the way others who maybe don't want to necessarily have these conversations day in and day out, whether it be on the streets at the dinner table or their inboxes. What are some actions we can take to put humanity first and to honestly help the people who need it most right now? I think that's a vital question and thank you for asking it. Like what does action look like for each person? There's a post um, I saw many people have posted it about what like social action looks like and then different spheres and pods, like many people can find their voice in different ways through art, through protests, through donations, through writing of their leaders in charge, to having and holding space for tough conversations like you were explaining you do. These are all ways in which people can show up. They all come to our own strengths, what is comfortable to us, lean in there first. But some of it will require also us to do things that are on our growth edge and require some stretch that might not be so comfortable to us. My personal opinion and deep belief at this moment is that everyone should be able to write their government and demand a ceasefire. That to me is a vital component. If you can't go to a protest, if you feel unable to share your views in a public forum, what you can do is reach out to your government. You can call, you can write part of the letter campaigns to demand a ceasefire. That for me is number one. Nothing will change if the powers that are in control of this situation don't stop. 
the only way we can ask for that is to ask for it. Beyond that, there are many notable vetted charity organizations on the ground that again, we can list a couple that if you have the means and the desire to donate, you can donate. A lot of them are falling into even more difficulties because of lack of supplies and not understanding how to get to the people. So it does require a little bit of understanding of where your money is going at this point because of the devastation, but it's not a question of lack of need. And so that is another form of support. In all of these things, there's layers, there's awareness, and there's action. And then there's the part of you going back, remembering to save space for self and what we discussed as the self-regulation piece and what that looks like for you to maintain your vibration and care for your mental health. That does not mean putting your head under the sand and not doing anything. It means recharging your body and your mind and your soul so you can take action where needed.